Hopefully, all of us are in the habit of praying the rosary, and especially during this Easter season, concentrating on the glorious mysteries of the rosary that focus our hearts on the glories of the risen Christ. Sadly, though, I think, despite the fact that the Ascension occupies the second decade of the glorious mysteries, we don't really give the Ascension the attention that it deserves in our Christian faith. Maybe part of the problem stems from the fact that in some places the Ascension is observed, as is tradition, on the Thursday that falls 40 days after Easter, while in other places, such as our own diocese, the observation is transferred to the following Sunday. Perhaps this lack of a uniform day of observation dissipates some of our collective focus. When you actually think about it, the ascension is the most critical aspect of the new covenant because it is the end toward which, which everything in the incarnation aims. The second person of the Trinity could have assumed flesh in the world. He could have suffered and died on the cross, and he could have risen from the dead. But unless and until he ascended back to the Father, the incarnation of Christ would not have provided us with a solution to the problem of our own sin and death. Think back to Genesis. God created the world, including the man and woman whom he made in his own image. He looked upon everything and found that it was very good. But the sin of Adam and Eve ruptured that idyllic bond between God and his creation. Mankind was expelled from the garden and thereafter lived in a state of separation from God's grace, as we see amply demonstrated in the Old Testament. But in sending his only begotten Son into the world by the Incarnation, God and his creation once again coexisted. When Christ took flesh, he had both a human and a divine nature. Thus, directly in the person of Christ, God and man were peacefully united. Because of that, Christ could obediently suffer a human death on the cross in atonement for our sins, but then be divinely raised from the dead. All of this would by itself be incredible and awesome for us to behold. But until Christ ascended back to the Father, there wouldn't have been a place for us to fit into the equation and thus obtain the merits of Christ's sacrifice for our own salvation. Yes, Christ could become man, but that by itself doesn't get the rest of mankind to God. But in ascending back to the Father, Christ brought his human nature to heaven. This accomplished far more than reconciling humanity to the state of harmony that had existed in the Garden of Genesis. By ascending in the flesh, Christ opened the way for his followers to be saved in heaven because now the reconciliation between God and man did not just exist in the two natures of Christ on earth, but rather there is now a reconciliation between Christ's humanity and the Holy Trinity in heaven. And unfortunately, this is something that we often forget or overlook in considering our own eternal destiny. We've all heard the classic expression about the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. But that leaves out the resurrection. In ascending to the Father in body and in soul, Christ was demonstrating for us 
the ultimate eternal destiny of the just, which is the resurrection. As Christians, we don't merely long for heaven, but for the resurrection of our bodies. The glory of the saints in heaven who behold the face of God is still yet incomplete until the day when our Lord will inaugurate a new heaven and a new earth by the resurrection of the dead. Only then will all the saints, which will hopefully include us, be restored to the glory of our creation as the body and soul that we exist as now, except in a glorified way. That's why Thomas Aquinas said that even the souls of the saints in heaven are undergoing a kind of violence. Now, that's a funny expression, to say that the peace of heaven is an experience of violence. But Aquinas is using the term violence or violent here in a very technical, scholastic kind of way. What he means is that it's unnatural for the soul to be separated from the body, even in heaven, because our soul was made for our body. The two are intrinsically linked. That's why the sins that we commit through the actions of our bodies have such eternal consequences. The immaterial soul is wounded by our material actions when they disobey God. That's why we are sad at the death of a person, even if we believe that they are destined for heaven. It's why Christ wept at the death of Lazarus, even though he would momentarily raise him from the dead. The separation of the soul from the body is unnatural. This doesn't mean, of course, that the souls in heaven are suffering or sad, but they are awaiting that one final step of being restored to their bodies. So far as we know, only Christ and his blessed mother currently enjoy this unity of body and soul in heaven, but it's a hope that awaits all of us as Christians. This is why Christ can say to his disciples, Behold, I am with you always until the end of the age, because he didn't leave his humanity behind when he ascended to the Father, but brought it before his Father for his glory, so that we too someday can stand in glory before our Father in our full dignity as the body and soul that he created us to be. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.